I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The secret that I've learned over 20 years of research and experience is we all have a genetic code that tells us when to sleep called our chronotype. If I can get people to sleep during their genetic what I call swim lane for sleep. We know you're getting super high quality. And here's the crazy part, bro, is it's not just about sleep. I can tell you the best time of day to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss for a raise. It's unbelievable the science that's out there on chronotypes. We know what these substances do. Caffeine, diuretic, so it makes you pee. It's a stimulant, so it keeps you awake. It is not a replacement for sleep. Alcohol is an anesthetic, not a sleep aid. More people use alcohol than any other substance in the world to help them fall asleep. And it couldn't be a worse idea if you tried. If all of your listeners only took one piece of information from this whole conversation we're having, it, it, it really is to Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid, subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Hey there, Inspired Spirits. At the time of this recording, only 94% of you that are actually returning to watch a second or a third or a fourth video here on the Inspired Evolution podcast are actually subscribed. I can't tell you how much it genuinely helps everything we're trying to achieve with promoting positivity in the world through your subscription. Every time you hit subscribe, it helps us grow the platform. It lets guests that want to come onto the show know that you know it is worth their time to take the time out to carve out a conversation like the ones that you're enjoying here on the Inspired Evolution podcast. My personal commitment to you is as the show grows, 
you know, more and more quality, more and more conversations, richer and richer things will flow around here. That is my absolute commitment to you, to be completely transparent as we grow. And when we finally get to that 100,000 subscriber mark, currently we do two episodes a week. I'm looking forward to getting us to about three episodes a week so we can really keep the juju going and flowing at an even greater level. And all of that is enabled by you taking the time to hit subscribe, hit that bell notification. So if you can, Please take a moment, take a moment, come on, take one sec, quick sec, <laughs> hit subscribe and hit that bell notification icon. It helps so much more than I can say. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us today, Inspiring Our Evolution Through Sleep, A Revolution in Sleep, Dr. Michael Bruce. How are you there, Michael? How's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super stoked to be here. Oh man, it is such a pleasure for us to have you here. For those that are tuning in for the first time, Dr. Michael Bruce, PhD, uh, diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine, fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. His PhD is in clinical psychology. He's been in private practice as a sleep doctor for nearly 25 years. He's sought after lecturer. His knowledge has been shared globally on some of the largest platforms you've heard of. Yes, there is a TED Talk. You can go check it out. Um, and he spent for the last 14 years, he's been a primary contributor as a sleep expert on WebMD. Um, he's wrote best-selling books, The Power of When, The Sleep Doctor's Diet Plan, um, Good Night, Energize. Man, there is so much we can cover in today's conversation <laughs> here. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Why do we need, do, is it true that we need less sleep as we get older? So it's, it's actually one of the more popular questions that I get asked. And so here's the bottom line is, Kind of, but not really. So if you get good quality sleep, then you will probably maintain the amount of sleep that you get, or you might get just a little bit less because you're maybe taking some naps during the daytime. But if you get poor quality sleep, absolutely not. It's actually worse. You actually end up sleeping more. So I have, and what happens is like, as we get older, we're so used to the way things are that we don't think about it. And so, you know, if you've been tired for the last year and a half and you're 65 years old, you just think, well, I guess I'm supposed to be tired because I'm 65 years old. Right. When in fact, that's not even the case at all. You might have an underlying sleep disorder. And so we need to address that. And now you don't sleep all day. You only sleep for the seven hours a day that you need. And now you've got more time to spend with your children and your grandchildren and hobbies and purpose and all of those wonderful things. Because that was, and it definitely does bleed the conversation for us to dive into what quality sleep looks like. And that is, I will yeah. definitely ask you that question. But I'm also curious about the fact that, you know, we, we spend, because I know that question for me was coming from a point of, as I'm getting older, <laughs> I'm finding myself with more and more pressures on my time. And I'm just like finding excuses to try and find ways to, to sleep less and less, um, even though, you know, and one of the qu questions that emerged for me before we dive into quality was like, does sleeping more always equate better? Or is there an optimal zone in there somewhere? Yeah. So, so you have to qualify this answer with, we're talking about a healthy individual with no sleep disorder, right? Right. Cause if we got somebody who's not healthy or who has a sleep disorder, there's a lot of variation kind of in there in terms of how much sleep you should get and when you should get it and things like that. And what a lot of people don't understand is when you get your sleep in that 24 hour cycle actually helps determine, at least in part, the quality. 
So understanding how much you need has a lot to do with the quality that you're getting. So you can need less sleep if your quality is higher, as an example. So when I work with CEOs, athletes, celebrities, people like that, the very first thing that they say to me is they're like, Michael, I need more time in my day and I need less sleep. And it's like, okay, that's a bad idea, right? How about if I give you higher quality sleep and you need less of it and that sub subsequently gives you more time in your day? And then they're like, yeah, that'll work too. <laughs> and then I get them there, right? But that's what a lot of people are looking for is they're trying to figure it out. And, and the secret that I've kind of learned um, that I've been working with clients in over 20 years of research and experience is if I can get people to sleep during their genetic, what I call swim lane for sleep, right? So we all have a genetic code that tells us when to sleep called our chronotype. And once you find that, and I can lock and load you on that, the amount of sleep actually changes pretty dramatically because we know you're getting super high quality because of the time. Okay. I'm buying it. Higher quality sleep requires less time. Yes. Okay. We found something in there. So what are our chronotypes? You mentioned chronotype. Yep. So a chronotype, people out there may not have heard the word, but you've actually heard of the concept. So if you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes specifically for sleep. Back in the 70s, we used to um, study, we, well, that's when we first started studying morningness and eveningness is how we called it back then. Um, and we would say that early people who like to get up very early and go to bed early were early birds. People in the middle were hummingbirds. I have no idea why they called them hummingbirds, but for some reason they called them hummingbirds. And then people who like to wake up late and stay up late, they called night owls, right? So in the 70s, they started to identify this with questionnaires and, and different assessment tools. By the way, these chronotypes have been around since the dawn of time, okay? So if you go way back to caveman, caveman times, right? The hunters, they were the people, they were the early birds. They got up before dawn, they got out there, they killed their animal and brought the meat back to the village. Who were the hummingbirds? Well, those are the folks who minded the village, watched the children, you know, dealt with the daily life. Who was the security force? Well, the people who naturally stayed up late anyway became the security force, right? So the sentries who would watch the village from predators and, and from other, you know, tribes and things like that. So early bird in, in the middle and night owls have been around literally forever, okay? Now, let me tell you what happened to me. I had a patient come in um, for insomnia, which is kind of my area of specialty, uh, and I failed. I mean, I failed. Like, I couldn't fix her. I couldn't figure out how to fix her. And so, and just to be clear, nobody's perfect in medicine, like not even close. Like I'm, I run at about a 60, 65% success rate for insomnia. And that's a, those are rock star numbers. Like most, most sleep docs can't stand insomnia. And so it's very difficult to kind of get people treated, but it doesn't always work. Anyway, she comes in and she's like, it isn't working, Michael. And we had tried medication. We had tried scheduling. We had tried cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, I tried everything I knew. So when that happens, I bring a patient back in and I, I redo my assessment. I'm like, I must have missed something in the, I mean, I'm human, right? I must have missed something in the assessment. So I go in and, I, and I'm an hour and a half in and she said something that triggered me. And she said, you know, Dr. Bruce, and this is when I was practicing on the East Coast. I used to live in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where I started my practice. That's where actually where I'm from. Um, she said, if I could just be on California time, my life would be perfect. And I was like, tell me about that. She was like, well, I feel like I was born in the wrong time zone. 
She was like, because if I just got up three hours later, so I live on the East Coast. I have to get up at 6 a.m. to be at work by 9 a.m. to deal with kids and blah, 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 blah. She said, if I could just get up at what was 6 a.m. on the East Coast, on the West Coast, which is really 9 a.m., man, I'd be doing great. And so I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I said, well, why don't you do that? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, why don't you ask your boss if you can just change your hours and come in, you know, a couple hours later. And she was like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure I'm getting fired. I was like, well, what's going on? She said, I fall asleep in meetings. She said, I don't, my work product is not what it should be. Um, I, I, I can't get to work on time. She said, it's, it's kind of awful. And I, I've got like, I've been on suspension and things like that. I really don't know what to do. I said, well, can I call your boss? She's like, sure. So I called her boss and I explained who I was and who she was with her permission and I said, can she come in at 10 o'clock? Or I said, no, uh, 11 o'clock instead of nine o'clock and stay until seven o'clock instead of five o'clock. And his answer was very interesting. He was like, I don't really care what she does. I'm firing her on Friday. This was Monday. Okay. No pressure. Right. <laughs> so I said, okay, fine. He's given us the go ahead. Starting on Tuesday. For the next four right. days. Yeah. Right. I'd start on Tuesday. You don't have to go to work until 11. And you, uh, you, uh, you leave at seven and then we cleared it with her partner and he was going to take care of the kids and kind of understand how that whole thing was going to work. And we were just going to run experiment for a week. So on Friday I called her boss and, uh, I called him up and he recognized my number from like caller ID. He didn't even say hello. He said, I have three more people in my organization. I want you to talk to. That was how he started the conversation. Right. Because it was such a dramatic change by just shifting her bedtime and wake up time. She was a night owl. She was actually an extreme night owl. And she was trying to wake herself up at six o'clock in the morning. And if you're a night owl, like that's like putting a, I mean, it's awful. Like you just, you can't do it. Right. And so we were basically asking her to do something that her biology was completely against. And once her boss realized that he was like, oh, no problem. And her work product improved. She kept her job. And then I ca- when I called her husband uh, that night, uh, because I had to check in with him to see like, how did that go? And it was really interesting. He said something to me that I wasn't expecting. He said, thank you for giving me my wife back, which was pretty powerful when you think about it, right? Like, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. So because it made such a dramatic difference in her communication, in her mood, in her interaction with her family um, that, that she was able to sleep in. And now everybody started to understand. It's like, oh, don't, don't ask mom something at seven o'clock in the morning, right? She's just not awake. Her brain's not awake. Ask it to her at 10 o'clock at night. You'll get a much better answer. It'll probably be more accurate. And, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like you learn where people are in their universe and then you can you can appropriately approach them and and you know work with them and that was what really then then they, all of a sudden it kind of dawned on me and i was like all right well how do we figure out if somebody's got this crazy irregular sleep schedule because that's what she ended up having it, she was both an extreme night owl and she had a very irregular schedule she was waking up in the middle of the night all this kind of stuff and so i thought there's got to be another chronotype right And so I started searching and chronotypes are biologic. They're genetic. So I can look at your 23andMe or your Ancestry.com. I can tell you exactly what your chronotype is. And believe it or not, they're somewhat predictive. Like if you sent me your 23andMe data, I could push it up against 74 different sleep markers in an algorithm that I have. 
I can predict if you're going to get sleep apnea. I can predict if you're going to get narcolepsy. I can tell you what the quality of your sleep is going to be like now and moving forward in the future. And then we build a program around these predictions, right? And so for you, it, let's say it said that you only needed six hours of sleep a night. Okay, then we got to get you the best six, right? So then we have to figure out your chronotype, have you sleeping during that chronotypical situation, then eliminate caffeine, eliminate alcohol. So we have no outside influences, bro. I can have you sleeping like a champ. And, and if you normally needed eight hours within three to four weeks, you will naturally get less sleep. So this is what, so I'll tell you how I figured this out because I did it on myself. So I was like, you know, if I'm going to write a book on chronotypes and all this stuff, after I figured this out with my patient, I was like, shit, I better do it myself. So I'm a night owl. I always have been. Um, I only recently started to change as I get older, um, which we can talk about as well. But I knew that, you know, this was kind of me and, and what I was going to be doing. So I really had to figure it out. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to bed at midnight because that's kind of when I like to go to bed. And I'm just not going to have an alarm clock. And I'm going to do this for as long as it takes. And I'm going to see what happens. So I went to bed at midnight and at the beginning I was waking up around 7.30. So seven and a half hours, right? No alarm clock, no problem. Um, within a month, I started waking up naturally, no clock, 7.15. A month later, it was 6.45 or seven o'clock. A month later, it was 6.45. All of the sudden, I'm going to bed at midnight. I'm waking up at like 6.15. I have no caffeine on board. Okay, like right now, I have tons of energy, right? It's two o'clock in the afternoon here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, everything started to click for me. So I was like, I got to tell people about this. So that's how the power of when came about. And that's where the chrono quiz came from. And so what's so cool about it is if you just know what your chronotype is, and here's the crazy part, bro, is it's not just about sleep. I can tell you the best time of day to have sex eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss for a raise. Like it's unbelievable the science that's out there on chronotypes. So, so that's kind of the fun part is understanding that. And I feel like it's kind of the cheat code um, <laughs> for life in certain ways, because like, here's the thing. If you know your boss is a night owl, don't show up Monday morning at eight o'clock and ask for a raise. You know what I mean? Cause that shit's yeah. not going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally it's just sense. not going to work. But if you show up at Friday, right at four 30 and say, let's go to happy hour. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about my career. I bet you get a much better response. Mm. See what I'm saying? So knowing, knowing the chronotype of the person you're interacting with, then knowing your personal chronotype, you balance these two out and then you succeed. Right. And you can, and in whatever area you want, I can show you how to do this with yoga. I can show you how to do this with team sports, with weightlifting, with running. I can show you how to do it with emotions and when to talk to your children, when to, when to have a serious conversation with your partner. Like it, it runs the gamut. It's unbelievable. Because it is so universal, what it's sort of, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing is it's probably got a lot to do with our hormones. Is that it does. It's 100%. It? Yeah. Can you describe huh? what's going so on? The way it, so it's all hormone dependent, but it's all timing dependent. So inside mm. our bodies, we have this thing called the circadian rhythm, right? Now, when most people hear the word circadian rhythm, they think of sleep. It turns out we have over 300 circadian rhythms in our body. Every single organ has a circadian rhythm. Your liver has a different circadian rhythm than your stomach, which has a different circadian rhythm than your lungs, okay, than your brain, right? Because they're all functioning as a, as a network, but still independent of one another. 
And so understanding this becomes very critical on almost every aspect of, of your life, hormones in particular. So let's take the example of when you wake up in the morning. So let's say you're an early bird versus a night owl. When you wake up in the morning, it's six o'clock in the morning, your, your hormone melatonin turns off automatically, and now you start your day. All your other excitatory hormones kick in, cortisol, adrenaline, uh, norepinephrine, all of those start to rise up and you move on with your day. Now you're a night owl, okay? That exact process doesn't actually happen in your brain until eight o'clock. If you try to wake your ass up at six and you're a night owl, the process doesn't start at six. The process is still gonna start at eight. You're just gonna be miserable until eight because you can't really force your biology that way. You see what I'm saying? So it's all hormonally driven. So let's take sex because that's the question that I get asked the most about and it's so hormonally driven. You need five hormones to successfully have sex. You need estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, adrenaline, and cortisol all need to be high, right? Elevated. And melatonin, the sleep hormone should be low, okay? We did a survey. Uh, I think it was 93% of people prefer to have sex between 10 and 11.30 at night. What do you think their hormone profile looks like? Melatonin is probably bottom bond out. <laughs> yeah. No, my, melatonin's up. Oh, really? And all the others are down. Yeah, right. Okay. Right? So that's hint number one as to when you should be having intercourse. Hint number two, if you happen to have a partner that's male, what do most men wake up with in the morning? An erection. If that's not Mother Nature telling you when to use that thing, I don't know what is. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you start to think about this. And so what we did was we surveyed people. So we asked people to, um, to be intimate in the morning. And then we surveyed them and we asked them, how was it? And, and here's what we learned. Connection was better. Emotional connection was better. Physiologically, men performed better. They, were, they had longer erections. They were uh, able to ejaculate uh, where some men couldn't. Like It was a very different universe, literally just changing the timing of when they were having intercourse, right? For the women, um, it was also very interesting. Women actually preferred uh, morning sex because they were exhausted at the end of the day um, and they were tired. And it was, not, not, it was no longer not tonight, I have a headache. It was not tonight, I'm too damn exhausted, right? And so- Trying it out in the morning time all of a sudden becomes a whole unique experience. It's a lot of fun. And all of a sudden you get to be with your partner and, you know, learn something new about them. Like, it's just good science. What are the four chronotypes? Because um, you've mentioned the night owl and the early riser, but there are four, yep. right? Yep, there are four. So there's the early bird, which I've renamed. By the way, I renamed all the chronotypes because I'm not a bird. I'm a mammal. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I wanted like to your, be... I I like your names, by the way. So just give Thank you. I appreciate that. it. Um, well, so here's a funny thing that I think your audience will get a kick out of. And so behind the scenes, when you write a book and you're in the publisher's office and you're trying to determine things about the book, we were trying to figure out what do we name the four archetypes, right? Because I had developed four distinct you know, situations um, and somebody said colors, somebody said crystals. So, that's right. So, so I said, I want it to be animals because people can relate to another living creature. And I want the animals to actually have the circadian rhythm that they're representing, okay? So here's what we learned. Nobody wants to be a porcupine, 
You know that? <laughs> nobody wants to see a porcupine. <laughs> no cuddles for porcupines. Nope. Right. Nobody, no, 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 nothing bad about porcupines, but nobody seems to want to be one. So early birds are lions. I mean, who wouldn't want to be the king or the queen of the jungle, right? So we traded the, the term lion for early birds. Um, they make up somewhere between 10 and 15% of the population. Um, these are my COOs of, of the universe. So they're the ones who are like sending out emails at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, um, things like that. They are usually make a list every day and go from step one to step two to step three, uh, very orderly fashion. Um, and um, they're, they're the ones who kind of organize people. They don't necessarily get the work done, but they're very good at managing um, people out there. But it's not all fun and games to be a lion, um, even though you wake up early and you get a lot of shit done. Um, the, bo- the bad part is socially, it's very difficult to be a lion because when you're a lion socially, you've been up since four o'clock in the morning. Like you don't want to go out to dinner in a movie. Like there's no universe where that's going to happen for you. So a lot of people turn to me and they're like, Michael, I want to be a lion. I got lion envy. Really? Lion envy? Like, are you kidding me? No, they want to be a lion. I'm like, bro, it's genetic. Number one. And number two, you can't party. Like every lion I know is not a partier. Now, again, pros and cons in either direction. In the middle, what we used to call hummingbirds, I call them bears. Um, Bears are cuddly creatures um, who have what I call a solar sleep cycle. So they like to get up when the sun rises, which is around 7, 7.30. And they like to go to bed, uh, usually around 9.30 or 10. 55% of the population is a bear. And honestly, dude, I wish I was a bear. Because the whole schedule of life works well for bears, right? A nine to five schedule is perfect for a bear. Um, And now these people have a tendency to be a little bit more extroverted at times, um, but they're very loving people. Like these are people who want to be your friend. They invite you to their home for dinner or they buy you a drink at the bar type of thing. Um, But these are the folks that kind of get work done. Again, 55% of the population. The night owls like myself, I call them wolves. Um, most people know wolves are nocturnal creatures. They hunt at night. Um, and it's kind of cool to be a wolf. Um, so I thought that would be a good one. Um, but we are much more on the creative side. So where lions are my kind of militaristic kind of logic driven step one, step two, step three people, um, wolves like myself, we're more like step one, step 27, step 311. Okay. We'll go back to two. Right. And it makes perfect sense for us. But it makes no sense for anybody else. Um, My lions, I mean, my wolves rather are my creatives. So these are my artists, my actors, uh, my uh, my authors, my musicians, um, people like that. Have it because, like, if you know creative people, or if you're a creative person yourself, like, when do you get your inspiration? Because it ain't two o'clock in the afternoon. I can assure you, it's two o'clock in the morning when you're doing something you're probably not supposed to be doing anyway, and you get an inspiration to learn or do or, or or what have you. Now, so far, I haven't told you anything that everybody doesn't already know, right? So all I did was take early birds and turn them into lions, uh, hummingbirds, turn them into bears, and night owls and turn them into wolves, okay? So I haven't done anything new. The new one is called the dolphin. Um, And I chose dolphin in particular for a very particular reason. So first of all, many people don't know this, but dolphins sleep unihemispherically. So half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake and looking for predators. And I thought that kind of represented insomniacs, right? They're never quite asleep or they're never deep enough in their sleep where they kind of want to be. And I've never met anybody who doesn't like dolphins. 
right? And so that seemed like it was going to be good. And the whole idea that they sleep, you know, with half their brain seemed to be reflective of an insomniac. And so what they represent is they're very similar to lions, but they've got a lot of anxiety. And so they have a hard time either falling asleep or staying asleep, but they are, they wake up early. They have a short sleep drive, but a longer sleep need, meaning they want more sleep, even though their body may or may not necessarily need it, but their brain thinks that they do. And so they always feel like they're missing out on things. Um, They do go from step one to step two to step three, but they have a hard time finishing the project because they're so OCD about things that things are never quite done type of person. I guarantee you have one of these people in your life somewhere. Um, And that's who this patient was, um, who I I couldn't fix, who I, I, I had failed with. She turned out to be a dolphin and she was the first one I had been able to identify. And so then we went back and started looking at the genetics and it turns out there is a genetically distinct, um, in, in most of the dolphins that I saw, there was something that was uh, genetically distinct. So we were able to say, hey, it's another chromosome. Yeah, wow. Okay. It's interesting because I did the um, I did the chronotype quiz and it popped me oh. out as a bear, which I kind of love because affectionately I call everyone brother bear, sister bear, and it totally oh, there you go. with being a bear. But I have to say, even looking, thinking back to my university days, there was something about, and I used to say this to people and I still say. So it's different at different times of your life. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Because (laughs) I, um, I I I find my my most productive hours are like between Mm -hmm. 1 a.m. and Mm -hmm. 4 a.m. There's this real sweet spot Mm -hmm. where I used to like find myself waking up in the middle, like not like I would push if it was like exam periods to try and cram. And those three hours was literally Mm -hmm. the equivalent of like 15 hours of work at any other point in time. So when you're at that age, you are at the wolf chronotype. So one of the things that we haven't had a chance to discuss yet is everybody goes through every one of the chronotypes. Right. (laughs) So it's, it's. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com really cool so think about it when you're a baby you're a lion you go to bed really early you wake up really early i mean yeah your parents have to mind you and all of that but you fall into that lion-esque chronotype now you're a toddler on into middle school you go to bed around seven you wake up around seven so you're kind of a bear now think about yourself when you were an adolescent so go 13 to about 23 right what was your favorite thing to do Stay up late late and sleep. Stay up late. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right? That's natural. 
Like that makes perfect sense. What happens is right around 23 to 25, your chronotype sets for about 40 years and then it starts changing again. So for me, my chronotype has always been a wolf. And I'll give you an example, right? So, you know, we talked about intimacy. When I first met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, I would say, you know, what time do you want me to pick you up? And she'd say, pick me up at eight um, and we'll have dinner at 830. Um, And so we'd go to the restaurant, have dinner 830 till maybe 930, 10 o'clock. Then we'd go catch a movie from 1030 to 1230. Then we would go out for a drink or dessert afterwards and get home at two o'clock in the morning, right? That was a normal day, right? Why? Because she's a wolf and I'm a wolf, right? But if she was a lion, we would have never gotten married. Well, I don't even think we'd have made it to the second date, okay? Because, I mean, there's no universe. The lions make it up till two o'clock in the morning, but my wife is fine. And, And what's interesting is like when we go home for family events, and we all stay in the big house together, everybody's up because her whole family are night owls. So that's where the genetic aspect comes in here. Now, here's what gets weird is when you get to my age, which is 55, things start to get a little wonky um, and your melatonin production begins to slow down and gets a little bit earlier. So you ever notice how when you're hanging out with your grandparents um, and you say, hey, let's go to dinner. And they're like, sure, I'll meet you at 430. And you're like, grandma, what's up? Right? It's because her circadian rhythm is earlier now and it's been pushed backwards because of her melatonin production. So now you start going backwards. So if you were a a wolf like you are now, you may become a lion in your old age. We don't know. Okay. So there are shifts that happen organically through time. But I think the key thing also is that for that 40 year period, which are like our productive sort of worker years, we are actually somewhat set in um in how we approach things so look i i, I don't want to i kind of want to have that conversation why am i saying i don't want to the, the the like i wish i was a bear <laughs> like the society setup is just so suited to bears and even listening to you i'm hearing that actually a big part of the inspired evolution and i'm taking a morning stretch here is like actually geared and wired so that i wouldn't have to be like in a world doing like in the world doing berry kind of things. And I can actually do the inspired evolution and coach and podcast the way that it like, you know, on my own schedule as a wolf does. So I think as I'm hearing you share, it's like, actually, this is quite profound because my whole strategy in many ways around creating a lifestyle around suited to me is actually predicated on what feels natural and just goes. And I'm not, in this conversation, it's becoming really clear, like I'm attracted towards a particular thing, but generally it's the friction of not being a bear that's sort of been rubbing me up the wrong way. Exactly. And here's something else that we learned. So we've had almost 3 million people take the quiz and it turns out there's two types of bears. There's early bears and late bears. And I bet you're a late bear. So what that means is, is you're not as extreme as a wolf, but you prefer later times but if you go past a certain time, you're done, right? Like this, it, you're done and, and it kicks in the next day. So if we can find the right sort of zone for you as a late bear, you might be in the money. Wow. So I think there's a lot of value to understanding your chronotype. I'm going to put a link in the show notes below for everybody to go do their chronotype quiz on your website so that they can enrich themselves through the conversation we're having. Now, in the process of 
all of that. Now we've understood that our chronotypes change over time. We understand that there's different societal demands and, you know, trying to tailor our lifestyle to, you know, um, our chronotype can be so supportive. And then the biggest takeaway I've had so far is basically the idea that, yeah, getting higher quality sleep can actually like reduce the amount of time I'm spending in sleep because I'm basically not scraping around scringing for like exactly i can get the good stuff in and then i need less of it um talking about that's exactly the idea right there i think you summed it up really well is you'll get more of the good stuff if you just play in this in this time zone so why not right i love that and so determining sleep time uh i've heard a lot of science around well a lot of people are now like in love with sleep trackers i know i've got my little fitbit i've had an aura ring yep. i didn't really love the ring um but i prefer having a watch it's just it's just intuitive for me um mm-hmm. but yes yeah, your your take on sleep trackers what's useful are they useful yeah. yeah your thoughts absolutely so so i'm gonna i'm gonna challenge you a little bit um on your watch versus ring um, idea set, right? So the biggest problem with trackers is accuracy. Bar none, biggest problem. And so trackers are really dependent upon the quality of the data that comes in in order to give you an output that's got any meaningfulness whatsoever, right? So when we look at physiology and data, specifically with sleep, here's what a perfect scenario would be. I send you into my sleep lab. I attach 27 electrodes to your entire body and I have you then go home, go to sleep and you do this every single night for months on end and then I collect my data from you, right? That's how I get the most accurate data there is, right? Sign me up. (laughs) Right. That's not going to happen. Sounds a little invasive. (laughs) Right. Right. So what we gain in freedom, we lose in accuracy, Okay. Now, if we're looking for, now there are pads that you can put underneath your sheet of your mattress. There are rings you can wear. There are watches. There are wristbands, whole host of different things. Each form factor gets a certain kind of data, okay? And the ring, I know it's not your favorite, but listen up. The ring actually affords us the best sleep data. And let me explain why. It's because we can get temperature off of here, we can get blood pressure, we can get oxygen, um, and we can get pulse. And so with those four pieces of data, I can objectively from an algorithm get to almost any other piece that I need. And so that works really, really well. You just can't get the accuracy level for things like temperature on a wrist, like you can on a ring. And so that's one of the reasons why the form factor turns out to be very, very important. Number two, None of the trackers are medical devices. So none of them can really treat sleep apnea, narcolepsy, things like that. So none of them are designed to actually give you the information at that high of a level yet. Yet, my prediction is, is within the next 18 to 24 months, we will have a consumer device at a price that's affordable that people will be able to get full nighttime polysomnography every single night. That would be my guess, is we're, we're not that far away from that technology yet. Um, as of right now, if you have to pick a tracker, Aura's, uh, Aura and Fitbit are arguably the two uh, most accurate. We, there was a head-to-head study done with all of them, and Aura and um, Fitbit came out the best for um, total sleep time, so actual time asleep, uh, time in bed, um, and uh, sleep onset. And then um, Aura went one step further and 
are 85% accurate to full nighttime polysomnography. So if you wear an aura ring or I stick you in my lab, I get about 85% of the accuracy data on the ring, which I would argue is probably equally as good, if not better, unless I'm trying to diagnose sleep apnea or something like that. So trackers in and of themselves become an accuracy thing. Now, that's not the most important aspect because it doesn't actually matter how accurate the tracker is for you to be able to utilize the data. The key here is to not focus on a single data point, right? And so this happens to me constantly as people come running up to me like, Dr. Bruce, my phone says I only got 14 minutes. Yeah. Right. Constantly, bro. Like it's unbelievable. Right. And so, and so they're like, I only got 14 minutes of deep sleep. Am I going to die? And it's like, well, yeah, eventually you're going to die, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to be from 14 minutes of deep sleep. Right. And so, so what I tell people all the time is, is it's very difficult to look at a single data point, right? Because let's say you're a, a wristband and you tell me that I've got 14 minutes of deep sleep. And you tell you that every single day for three weeks, well, then I don't really care because I know it's not only 14 minutes, but it's consistently being inaccurate. I care when it's 14 minutes one day, 400 minutes the next day, and 300 minutes the next day. I want to know about the delta or the change in, in whatever it is I'm looking at, total sleep time, sleep onset, latency, whatever. I want to look at the change and then I want to see what did you do the night of the change to cause this to have an increase in the, uh, the device's ability to uh, assess your deep sleep, right? That's where I think it gets much more interesting. Also, I'm going to call out a lot of these tracker companies because I think they've done kind of a shitty job um, because they don't help people interpret the data. They just say, here you go. Here's some data. Good luck. Right. And, and like, and here's the problem is there are some people who get so wrapped up in the tracker stuff that they lose their brains. Like they, mm-hmm. they wake up in the morning and they lose their sleep, your sleep Then actually, sorry, I interrupted. Right. But yeah. I've noticed. Well, no, that, no, no. Yeah. But I mean, they, yeah, they look at their sleep score and it's not where they think it should be. And now they're depressed all day. It's mm. like, that's not what this is for. <laughs> mm. You mentioned the word um, consistency, and I think, um, yeah, being my background, being an engineer, there's, you know, we're, we're always, we're, for engineers, it's like drilled in. It's like accuracy is not precision. Precision and accuracy are two very different are two things. completely different you things. Know, and precise is like, yep, I'm getting the same result again and again and again. Accuracy is like I'm getting the right result. And so what I was hearing from you in there is as like if the, if it may not be accurate, but if it's precise, you've got a measuring tool that's good enough to let you not freak out. It's like, hey, this machine, the, the device is consistently off, but I know that it's not giving me an accurate result, but I don't have to freak out about it. But if there is a significant degree of variability and the results aren't very precise, now we've got some things to look at and consider. I wanted to zoom out from there a little bit, just go back to the when conversation of when we sleep and just have a look at like, yeah, is because you mentioned before, like now you're consistently sleeping around midday, uh, sorry, midday, <laughs> midnight to about 6 uh, 6:30 6:45 uh, and so does consistency in our sleep patterns once we've figured out our chronotype is that um instrumental to a healthy like sleep pattern routine like as i'm saying the words pattern and routine i'm recognizing that's exactly what the word means no 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 so i know i know what you're trying to say here and so yeah. the answer is yes and so let me explain the biology behind it because i think that will kind of bring everybody around full circle So the consistency, in all honesty, has to be with the wake-up time, not the amount. 
okay? So it's the clock time, not the amount. So I have a, I have a friend of mine who's a former NFL player and uh, we were working out and he said, Michael, you're gonna be so proud of me. I'm getting seven and a half to eight hours of sleep every single night. And I was like, Akbar, I, how, how is that possible? You told me you went to bed at this time and you went to bed at this time and you went to bed at this time. And he says, oh, what I do is whenever I go to bed, I just set my alarm for eight hours later, right? And a lot of people out there do that because they think that, that it's the amount of time, not when in the cycle it is, right? So let me explain to you why consistency matters. When you wake up in the morning, sunlight goes and hits your eyeball, okay? You have a very specific type of cell in your eye called a melanopsin cell. Melanopsin cells uh, are activated by a very particular frequency of light called blue light. This is the reason why we say you shouldn't be using blue light at night. Because this blue light sends a signal to this cell, which sends a signal to your brain to turn off the melatonin faucet in your head. Shut it off, okay? So that's why sunlight is good. But there's a second thing that happens that very few people know about, is your brain sets a timer for 14 hours later to start melatonin again. This is why consistency becomes so important. Because if during the week you're waking up at 6, 14 hours later is 8 o'clock, melatonin kicks off, your melatonin is up and going by 9.30, you're asleep by 10.30. But if you wake up instead of 6 at 8 in the morning, two hours difference, your melatonin doesn't kick off at 8 at night like it was. It kicks off at 10 because you're, it's a timer. Your brain can't tell time. There's a difference. So, Mr. Engineer, with your engineering brain, right, think about this, is if it all starts at the same point, we know then what the next thing is going to be in terms of the process of what's happening. Same holds true with biology. This is one of those areas where if, if all of your listeners only took one piece of information from this whole conversation we're having, it, it, it really is to wake up at the same time, seven days a week, based on your chronotype. If you can just do that, I can assure you, every single listener, I can assure you, you will improve your sleep by 40 to 50%. It's incredible. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm, there's this visual that's going on in my head, which is I'm not, like, my sleep is not just happening, like, it was previously something that I was doing, but I'm also noticing, back to the circadian rhythm conversation, that there are just these natural cycles that are going on. And almost like a surfer, it's like the waves are coming and going and it's on me to catch the wave rather than me sort of going, okay, like I'm just going to jump on the board and hopefully there should be a wave here for me to coast all the way back to. That's exactly right. This is profound. <laughs> this is profound. That's exactly right. If you think about surfing and sleep, there are a tremendous number of similarities. Wow. This is, and so the key thing being, like, if you set up at the way, the, the same time, the, the, the easy thing, I guess, um, taking the parallels away from surfing is that, well, maybe even surfing, because you've got sets of five or seven, right? So now you kind right. of know that the, 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 the way, the way you're going to wake exactly. at this right time, and that's when you can catch the wave if you just wake up at the right time. Wow. Okay. Exactly. Wow. My whole worldview on sleep is shifting right now as we're speaking, and I'm still conducting an interview, so bear with me. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to ask um, a little bit around uh, vitamins and minerals and stuff like that, because uh, I'm a big advocate for 
Um, I've been taking magnesium. Um, it's really been helping me a great deal. Um, I've also gotten recently onto some theanine based on the Huberman Lab podcast. And I've been taking GABA because of another guest that we had on the on a podcast as well. Um, any vitamins, mineral supplements? And it, does, it doesn't have to be nighttime stuff. Is there like some vitamins that you recommend that can really enforce us to have or support us? So, solid I have a kind of unique philosophy that if, if you're comfortable with, I'd like to tell to your audience. So when, when people come to me, one of, one of the most popular questions besides what bed should I buy, which is kind of amusing that they ask me that, but I do happen to know a lot about beds. Hey, if they're not um, going to ask you, sorry to just interject that. I'm not sure who they're meant to ask. You've, you, right, you've slept enough. on 150 fucking mattress mics. I have. It's a lot of mattresses, man. A lot of beds, brother. It's a lot of beds. Um, so I so, get why they come to you. Pardon me. Please continue. Yeah. So, <laughs> So the first thing that I do is people come to me all the time and they're like, what's your favorite sleep supplement? And my response is, give me your blood work, right? Because nobody out there has a deficiency in ashwagandha, okay? Right? Noted. But you may have a deficiency in magnesium, iron, melatonin, vitamin D, all of the things that we know have a major effect on sleep. And we know that those deficiencies have an effect on sleep. So to be very honest with you, I would not recommend that you take any of the things that you're taking without having done a blood test first to see if you're deficient in magnesium, because that's, that's one of the reasons why we give people supplementation is to supplement where they have deficiencies, right? And so what, what ends up happening, especially in sleep, is there's a lot of different ingredients out there that can do different things. But if, if you're not just applying all the right, if this unit is not working, it doesn't matter what kind of supplement you put into it, right? It's just like a car. If you put, un, if you put leaded gas in the car, it doesn't matter if you fill the tires with air because <laughs> it yeah. isn't going to work, Yeah, yeah. right? So it's, it's the same kind of process here. And so the four things that I look for are the ones I mentioned, magnesium, vitamin D, iron, and melatonin. Once we once we, we establish if you have any deficiencies in those four, that's part one. If you have deficiencies, we fix those first, okay? And we bring those up to what I call par levels so that you're no longer deficient. Then we look and see how your body's sleeping. And you know what? Almost 50% of the time, it works. <laughs> and people just go to fucking sleep and they're just fine without needing GABA or ashwagandha or magnesium, whatever, right? It's just figure out your personal deficiencies and fix those. Okay, let's say we do the blood work and you don't have any deficiencies. Okay, okay, I'm fine with that. And you want something to help you with going to sleep and you're looking for some level of supplementation that's out there. What, what makes sense, Michael? Magnesium is probably my first choice. Um, there is decent data on it. If folks want to learn a lot about magnesium and sleep, swing over to my website, which is thesleepdoctor.com. And in the search bar, just type magnesium. You'll learn more than you've ever wanted to in your life about magnesium because it's literally the most popular article, I think, on the website. Um, and, and, and and by the way, there are 11 different types of magnesium. That's what I was 11. just about to raise with you. This is like, there's yeah. citrate, there's blah, 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 there's like, whoa, shellite. And then like, whoa, which, and like right. some so of them are good for I, your mind, some are good for your body. It's like, what the right. fuck? So what I tell people is if it's for sleep, you start out with magnesium glycinate because it's easiest on the stomach. 
because magnesium also, by the way, if you overdose on magnesium, you immediately get diarrhea and you can become, uh, you can actually lose a lot of water and become dehydrated. So you, magnesium is not the thing to overdose on by any stretch of the imagination. You want to start low and slowly increase your dosages. Uh, but for magnesium, I'd start people on glycinate um, and see how their stomach is. Then sometimes I will move them to citrate because it appears to be a little bit better absorbed. And then if it's, if it's working okay, but I want a little bit more of a boost, I try magnesium threonate because there's some data to suggest that that can be helpful as well. Um, when you're looking at some of the things that people out there are recommending, um, and, and I don't want to give Huberman too hard of a time, but I will tell everybody he's not a clinician, okay? He's never seen a patient in his life. I know Andrew, I've heard him speak many times. He speaks with tremendous authority about the research that he's read, not done, read, um, and he hasn't put any of it into practice with patients where he would actually be responsible for what he has to say. So I've heard him and he gets on there. And again, I've heard him speak and he's a very intelligent researcher and a very intelligent person. And he's become wildly popular in the health podcast universe. But similar to Matthew Walker, who wrote a really big book on sleep called Why We Sleep, He's a researcher. He's not a clinician. So everybody needs to kind of take that information with a little bit of grain of salt and start to do some research on what they're recommending. So Huberman recommends this thing called Thiogen. Uh, I think it's called, no, what's it called? Not theanine, but... The, yeah, it's L-theanine. No, it's not L-theanine. It's L-something else. I'll think of it in a second. L-theanine is actually the active ingredient in green tea that helps people uh, meditate and focus. So L-theanine is not a bad is not a bad choice. For example, for a morning supplementation. So, like as an example, if somebody turns to me and says, "I'm not, I'm getting good sleep at night and I'm awake, but I feel like I have problems with focus," then I'm I'm going to have them use L-theanine or green tea uh, in the morning time to kind of help them with focus. GABA are what I call the breaks of the brain. Um, Right. So it's like and, and here's the thing is, if you if you need to take GABA, something's not working right. Think about it. Your body should be producing as much GABA as it needs. Right. If, if you're not producing enough GABA, uh, which is gamino-butyric acid, um, and there's very specific ways that your body produces that, if it's not producing enough or something like that, I think you have a much bigger problem on your hands. So I would tell people like if GABA is the thing that lowers your anxiety, that's different than if GABA is the thing that's trying to help you sleep because you don't have enough GABA. So once again, I kind of fall back to the do a go to your doctor and do a blood test. Um, don't sit on the, you know, the supplement aisle and, and the sleep section and pick a couple things and try them out and see how they work. Um, that's really not the way to do it. And if I was going to pick one supplement, because people always ask this question too, if you're going to pick one supplement to help people fall asleep, Michael, what would it be? Um, I would say it would probably be valerian has probably got the most data on it. Um, and it's a valerian hops combination that appears to be the most effective. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about hydration because I have this perspective and it's completely unfounded on anything. It's just like an intuitive sort of hit that I had somewhere along the way, or maybe someone mentioned something in a podcast and I just sort of made it my own, um, is I actually try to get in not like this is definitely not before bed, uh, but usually let's say my bedtime is usually around 10.30, yeah, so I'm usually trying to get in about two liters of water into my system, usually around about six o'clock. Um, just so that I'm hydrated because I kind of 
feel it when I'm sleeping. Like I know my body's going through a bit of a flush, bit of a system, like sort of, I have this idea in my head that my body is flushing and restoring and doing all this sort of stuff. Is that a thing or am I just making it up? Is there any use to being hydrated before going to bed? Um, and so you have you to be hydrated. Bed. You have to be hydrated in order for the process of sleep to work. Um, so that's important. Um, also, you don't want to get too hydrated just before bed because then you have to get up and pee most of the night, especially if you're a guy and you get older and you have an enlarged prostate, it makes it even more difficult. But I will tell you that hydration, I think hydration is one of the keys of wellness. Like I, I, I would argue if you're, if you're trying to be a well person ph physiologically, you can't do it without being well hydrated. Like it, I think it's impossible. Um, I mean, I think it's impossible to do it without good sleep. I think it's impossible to do it without good hydration. And I think it's impossible without understanding what breath work is and how to breathe. Like if you can do those three things, I think everything else is gravy on the taters. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned breath work because I um, recently have started this. Uh, okay. I've been watching Alex Hormozzi online and I've been watching the breath strips. and I, was like, I like him. He's interesting. I met him once in Vegas. <laughs> Isn't he? A He's a monster, guy? by the way. Like, I know, right? Yeah. But he's got these breath strips that he just wears out in public. But I started wearing yeah. them to sleep at night. And I got something better for you. Holy shit, they were amazing. Like I got something better for you than that. I've seen mm -hmm. Hermosi wearing those strips, and I want to try to get in touch with him. There's something much better on the market. It's called Mute, M-U-T-E. It's an internal nasal dilator, so it goes literally right inside the nostrils here, so you can't see it. It's fantastic, and um, it works really, really well. Um, I, I recommend them to people all the time. By the way, I figured out what um, Huberman is talking about uh, that I don't agree with. It's called Apigen, A-P-I-G-E-N-I-N. Oh, and yeah, it is my nutritionist couldn't find this actually. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, me that. either. <laughs> exactly. Right. No nutritionist can find it. It's an <laughs> offshoot of either the I think it's the chamomile plant. Um, oh. And and here's the thing. I've been looking into sleep supplements for about 20 years. Right. This comes out of absolutely nowhere. He's the first person to ever notice it and ever mention it. Hmm. I wonder if he owns a supplement company somewhere along the line that happens to be selling this. You know, like, and I want to be fair. I have no idea what Andrew Huberman is interested in or not interested in or invested in or not invested in. But I'm going to be honest with you. I've been doing this for 23 years. I'd never even heard of this thing. And I went and looked it up. I had to look it up into a German database because I couldn't find it in any of the U.S. databases. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's, a, it's, it's part of the chamomile extract of the plant. Now, chamomile does appear to have some sleep qualities to it, but I don't think it's I, – I, I can't find any data that would make me want to give this to a patient, which, again, is kind of like he's a researcher, right? And it, so it's like – it's one of these situations where I'm always telling people, look, just read the research yourself and see if it makes sense to yourself. I'm not saying you have to be a scientist. I'm just saying, read it. You, you will be shocked at how many times somebody is saying something that they're, they're just not an expert in or they don't know. At the risk of getting everybody to turn this podcast off now, I'm going to leverage the hydration conversation into a double pronged sort of, and just, I'm going to get everybody to turn off all at once. Um, caffeine and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. They're both dehydrating. <laughs> they're, bo they're both dehydrating. <laughs> and that's my yeah. segue into it. See you guys. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with caffeine or do you want to start with alcohol and the effects? Well, of I mean, I think we can look at both of them because I think they're both equal offenders of sleep. Um, but I also want to say that 
I like them both. I like coffee. I like alcohol. I like cannabis too, by the way. I mean, we might as well lump cannabis in there as well, right? And so when we start to look at, let's say, these three things, I mean, I guess, yeah, even with hydration, cannabis would probably be something that we talk about because of the cotton mouth and things like that that people get. But look, we know what these substances do, okay? Caffeine, we know what caffeine is. It's a diuretic, so it makes you pee. It's a stimulant, so it keeps you awake. Um, it is not a replacement for sleep. Caffeine lasts for between six and eight hours, even though you might not be feeling it. So eight hours after you've had four cups of coffee, two full cups of coffee are wandering around your brain. So if you think you can fall asleep with two cups of coffee on board, feel free to have four cups of coffee and, and not stop until two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, do you see what I'm saying? So what, what people have to do is, again, think about the science and then understand what's, what's reality for them. Me personally, I tell everybody, stop caffeine by 2 p.m., period, as your place to start. Because if I told everybody to stop drinking caffeine, like you said, they'd turn it off and we'd be gone and nobody would listen to a word we have to say, right? But if you stop by 2, you, you still get your caffeine during the daytime and then do that for one month. And then for month number two, stop at 12. And then for month number three, stop at 10. And then just have one cup of coffee in the morning. And then you get your cup of coffee and you're fine and it doesn't affect your sleep. Um, I, I, I learned this from a guy named Jesse Itzer. He, he does this thing called Habit of the Month Club, where once a month you, you change, you start a new habit, right? And so what people can do is they can start with caffeine as that habit, right? And so if you just start by not having caffeine after 2 p.m., I think that's a great place to start. Alcohol is very different. So alcohol is an anesthetic not a sleep aid, okay? And I wanna be very clear about that. So more people use alcohol than any other substance in the world to help them fall asleep. And it couldn't be a worse idea if you tried. So alcohol almost obliterates uh, stage three, four sleep, which is your physical restoration. And so here's the problem, like half the reason you get a hangover is from dehydration, the other half is from poor deep sleep, right? And so the closer you ingest alcohol to lights out, the bigger an effect it has. And the more you ingest, the bigger effect it has. So should you drink? Yeah, it's fine to drink, but you need to know the rules. So here are the rules. Stick to two drinks, have a glass of water in between each one, and your last drink should end three hours before lights out. Okay, so it's eight o'clock. Let's say you're going out to dinner and it's seven o'clock. You and your partner are out to dinner, you order a glass of wine or a beer or a shot or whatever, okay? You have your first one. Now it's 7.30, middle of the meal. You have your second one. Meanwhile, you've had a glass of water in between the two. You're done with your meal by eight. You're done with your alcohol by eight. You've got three hours for it to get out of your system, which is 11, which is your bedtime. You've had two glasses of water so you don't get too you know, uh, woozy and you stay hydrated. That's how you do alcohol and sleep. Mm. I now, I want to be clear about one thing. You, know, you don't do this every night, mm. right? Like if you find yourself drinking every night, you have a much bigger problem on your hands than sleep, okay? Like you've got an alcohol issue. Like it, it's pretty rare these days for somebody to have drink every night, right? And, and if, it's a hob, if it's a habit and, you're, and it's your one martini, I don't think I give a shit. But if, it's, if you're having three martinis every time you come home from work, you got a problem. Mm -hmm. right yeah and I cannabis think yeah sorry oh, sorry yeah no no you go on i'm, I'm I was so cannabis yeah. is is also an interesting one because lots of people are now turning from alcohol to cannabis um in terms of 
recreation, but also in terms of sleep, right? And so there's three main reasons here in the US why people go into a dispensary. It's pain, it's sleep, or it's recreation. That's it. That's pretty much all of the cannabis users, right? And so when you're thinking about sleep and cannabis, you have to be very careful because THC increases heart rate and lowers REM sleep, which is kind of not what you want for sleep. So if you have a small amount of THC, which just gets you over that hump of anxiety, but you do have something called CBN as in nighttime, that's the thing that we now see does the most for sleep. The data out of Israel is pretty consistent and pretty clear is you want to have a product. And by the way, it's not a vape and it's not a joint. Okay. Because I'm a doctor. I don't, you, you shouldn't smoke. Okay. It's just not good, but you can have an edible or a tincture of a dropper that goes underneath your tongue. Perfectly advisable to do right. And you can find a, a, tincture that's going to have a little bit of THC and some CBN in it. And that's going to be very, very helpful for sleep. Now, one thing is lots of people ask me, well, what about CBD, Dr. Bruce? I see CBD everywhere. There is one study, one that I have seen that shows that CBD is positive for sleep, one study. But I will tell you what CBD is positive for. CBD does appear to help with inflammation and pain and does appear to help with anxiety. So, if pain or anxiety is what's preventing you from sleeping, maybe CBD is not the worst idea. But I want to be very clear. CBD does not put you to sleep. CBN puts you to sleep. And so, again, understanding the products, understanding what your situation is, and then not going too far. The big, big problem that a lot of people have is they go from, from a, a medicinal use of cannabis into rec without realizing it because they've taken too much. Right. And so and that happens a lot with edibles because edibles take have a long time before they come on in terms of their effect. You could eat an edible and it could take an hour before you feel anything. Right. And that's something that people aren't used to that as an idea. Right. And so that's why I'm always cautioning people and saying, go slow. Right. Like you'll you'll be you'll be fine. Like figure out because, again, we're not trying to get people stoned. We're just trying to get people to medicinally get to the point where that anxiety has lowered and they can get into sleep without it having too much of an effect. Yeah, I the balance piece is really what I'm taking away from here as well because I think it's very easy to speak to someone that's a sleep expert and, you know, intuitively hear this response, which is like, you can't drink coffee and no more alcohol and all these things. Yeah, I didn't say either one of those. <laughs> I know, right? And it's, um, but the, the, the calling card is absolutely just be aware and be informed of what you're doing yeah. to your sleep um, as you're doing these things, um, which I think is actually, yeah, really, really useful to hear. Now I'm conscious, um, we don't have, uh, heaps of time left in the podcast, but you have spent heaps of time researching what a good night's sleep looks like in a, on a comfortable mattress. So, <laughs> mate, um, <laughs> yeah. Where do we even begin? Like, don't run me I know, right? 150 mattresses, please. <laughs> Like, I know, how is it for you going through? Because I know, like, when so, I change a mattress, when I stay at someone's house for one night, I'm like, oh, that wasn't my mattress. He's <laughs> gone through 150 right? of them. Oh, yeah. Trust um, me. It, it took yeah, a while. Like, it wasn't like I sat there for a year and just tested beds. Like, we, over the course of time, we did it. But he, here's the, here's the, pro there's problems with the mattress industry. Okay. And the biggest problem with the mattress industry is you can go to a store or you can go online 
and you could be looking at the exact same product with completely different names. You can't cross shop. You can't, uh, you don't yes. know. Yeah. It's so, yeah. and, and the manufacturers do it on purpose. So that you can't right? drive so, the prices so, down because you can't compare apples for apples. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly, I mean, you don't understand. There was a group of people that got together and said, this is what we're going to do. And that's what they do. Right. So, so let me explain to people how mattresses actually work. So if you have a thousand dollar mattress, okay, 500 of it is labor and uh, putting it together and, um, and resources, right? So materials, and then 50% of it is profit, 50%. So when you walk into a mattress store, there's a lot of wiggle room in there for them to be able to change their, their pricing if you want to negotiate. Most people don't know how to negotiate because they have nothing they can negotiate against. They can't say, well, I went to the mattress store up the street and that model is on sale for 20% less because it's, it's not, it's a different name, even though it's exactly the same. So what we did was we did reviews of over 150 different beds and we did different types of beds for different types of people. So for example, side sleepers would want a one kind of bed versus back sleepers as a starting sleep position. Or maybe heavy people need a different type of bed versus people with low back pain, right? And so what we did was we started to think, how do we think about populations of patients and which product would fit them best? And that's how we started to kind of divvy it up. So we do have things like the most eco-friendly mattress, if that's kind of your thing. Um, we've got ones that are just springs. they got ones that are just foam. We really ran the gamut of trying to understand what people need in a mattress. Um, and um, the biggest thing, the biggest areas that people seem to fight about are firmness and temperature. So as a general guideline, we tell most people you want a medium firm or firmer bed. Um, generally speaking, that's good for back health. When you have something that's less than a medium firm, it tends to sag and then you get back pain and, and things like that. So we, we do that. And then mattresses that have a lot of foam in them have a tendency to trap heat. And so we, I tend to like more hybrid beds that have got springs and foam because when you have just a big block of cheese, like there's no place for the heat to escape and you can get really hot. Um, and so, for example, if you're a menopausal woman, um, an all foam bed is probably a terrible idea, right? Because of, you know, hot flashes and things like that. Hot. So, yeah. So you really just have to kind of think about what your situation is. And then we've created lists for people and, and we explain exactly how we did it, like, like we did, the, here's how we did the testing and here's the things that we looked for and blah, blah, blah. And here's how they scored. And so we were trying to kind of give people insight into the, into the industry. Um, and, and to be fair, we make money off of it. If you end up clicking on a brand and then go through to that, we, we do make money. I mean, it's not a lot, but it's, it's something, but you know, that's kind of our way of helping, helping you out, but it's all above board. And, you know, I, there's no mattress that's our favorite. It's about the data and it's about what works for different people. Yeah, when I was checking it out at thesleepdoctor.com, it was actually quite um, informative as well, like educational in terms of what um, different mattresses could do for me um, in terms yeah. of what I wanted to, yeah, like what I wanted, where I wanted to go. I've had this um, recent sort of, and maybe this is me reading too much Stoic philosophy, which, you know, I can totally um, be at the risk <laughs> of given the nature of this podcast, um, but sleeping on, um, like I we have a firm mattress and we love it. 
Um, but recently our, our family's expanding Touchwood. We're expecting again in about four weeks. And I can't oh, congratulations! the podcast and not talk to you about parenting and sleep depra- uh, disruption <laughs> and what we should potentially do. But I've considered, um, you know, expanding and, you know, me maybe sleeping on the floor on the side because there are some benefits I've heard physically for the back um, to sleeping on the floor. Anything I should be aware of if I'm about to take that approach? You think it's a dumb idea? How old are you? Uh, 35. 35. And you're in pretty good shape. Do you have any uh, major spinal or back injuries? No, nah, not really. Just lots of neck and neck, neck and tendon, neck and shoulder tension, but that's normal for, yeah. Yeah. Have you been in a major motor vehicle accident in the last five years? Nothing significant, no. Okay, good. Because all of those things would predicate that you would need something that was more specialized. Um, yeah, and supportive. Um, I would say if you're going to try to sleep on the floor, which isn't the craziest idea, you shouldn't sleep just flat out on the floor. You should definitely have a topper, uh, maybe a one to two inch piece of foam that will allow some level of depression. Otherwise, what's going to happen is, is that the the pressure of the floor against your, let's say your shoulder, if you're a side sleeper over the course of time is going to cut off your circulation and it's going to wake you up because your arm's going to get all tingly. So having a little bit of give is going to be important. I mean, to be fair, if you were 18 years old, you wouldn't need anything. 18 year olds can sleep on anything. It's unbelievable. They can sleep on the side of the road with trucks going by and they don't wake up. Right. But at 55, there's no universe where I'm sleeping that way. So, (laughs) so if you're going to do that, I would say, Definitely put a topper down, but I would also just caution you. Um, we had both of our kids in our bed for the first probably four months, five months. And we had like a what we call a Moses basket. So it was a basket that my son was in or my daughter was in and my wife could scoop them over, breastfeed, and then put them right back. Um, I recommend that, but the quicker you can get the baby into their own room, the better because they adapt very, very quickly and they can smell mom and dad and it's warm and cuddly. And who wouldn't want to sleep with mom and dad versus sleeping all by myself in a crib in another room? So you, you, if, you, if you don't want to end up with a child in your bed until they're 14, um, I would suggest that you get them out of there as early as you can. Yeah, right. Um, thank you so much for that. Uh, that was very useful for me personally. Now, one of the, not that the rest of the podcast hasn't been, you guys have been watching me literally brain <laughs> epiphanies happening as I'm trying to conduct an interview. Um, <laughs> next couple of questions and then I promise I'll let you go. Um, I just want to make the most of it. There are so many. So um, sleep deprivation for young parents, it's just going to be a phase. Like I think when I started researching, um, even reading Matthew Walker's book was, um, you know, happening for me when I was going through, um, yeah, just yeah. early stages of being a parent. And I was like, it's a very popular book. And I was like, I should not be reading this right now because this is just like why we sleep. And it's like, I'm not getting any of this. Um, when you're a a parent of a newborn, he did did give people anxiety. (laughs) I I heard from many people, they were like, I read this book and now I'm really freaked out. And I was like, I know, I know. It was a bit full on, I have to say. Um, which you know, I appreciate the science and knowing things, and you know, and it definitely entrenches me and forces me in my process of like, okay, now I know why I need to make a decision, um, and it is part of my process because I can be a bit heady in those ways. Um, but yeah, the advice for people that are in these stages, I actually, well, I wanted to ask advice for two different people in two different stages. Firstly, those that are you know flying a lot and they have a lot of jet lag, any advice for those sort of people? And the other people are the, the newborn parents because um, they have a lot of disrupted sleep as well. Any advice for those people? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. So for jet lag, that problem has been solved. Um, there's an app, you should just 
download it. It's called Time Shifter. T I M E S H I F T E R. I'll time put it shifter. in the show notes. Yep, Time Shifter. Yep. And full disclosure, I'm an investor and partial designer mm-hmm. of the app, but awesome. we figured it out, um, and we have over a million people who we time shift every week, uh, going all over the world, and we're and it's literally almost perfect. So the science is super duper solid on this. And so we give you a two, two day plan before you leave, um, with using melatonin, um, caffeine, napping and light therapy in a very particular order, depending upon direction of travel and your chronotype. And, um, we can have you land on time. So if you're, let's say you're going from LA to Australia, um, I can have you land on Australian time. No problem. No jet lag at all under two days. Time shifter. I'll put it's in the show notes below. It's unbelievable. Like I, I've never been as confident about a product as I am about this product because it's just so damn good. Now let's talk about being a new parent. So new parenthood definitely puts a problem with sleep. Okay. I'll give you my one example of sleep deprivation. So this was for our second child. Um, my, my daughter, my wife turned to me and um, at the time she had uh, pumped breast milk and she was like, Michael, go into the fridge and grab breast milk for, for Carson. And I walked over to the linen closet. Okay. And I opened it up and I yelled to my wife, there's no damn milk in this refrigerator. <laughs> and why are the towels in here? Okay. That's how sleep deprived I was. <laughs> <laughs> my man i can relate bro <laughs> okay. yeah so i um i remember so the, trying to turn i remember trying to turn the light off by turning the door handle at some point <laughs> yes like, yes exactly <laughs> why is the light not turning i was staring at the door handle staring at the light staring at the door handle staring at the light took like four i embarrassed with this like four times for me to go oh <laughs> Uh, yeah, no shit. <laughs> just won't talk about that. Unbelievable, one. right? To everyone that listens to this podcast now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm but that's what happens is mm. is we get so sleep deprived from the birth of children, and you know most children aren't sleeping through the night immediately, and so there's a lot of things that go on there. So a couple of th- couple of hints, okay? So number one, housework no longer matters. So it doesn't matter if the dishes are done. It doesn't matter if the laundry is done. It doesn't matter if the house is clean. What matters is when baby sleeps, mom sleeps, okay? Because, or dad sleeps, because in the middle of the night, somebody's up with baby and you've got to be able to understand from a priority standpoint, it's okay if your house is dirty for the first six months, okay? As long as you're getting some decent sleep. That's number one. Number two, I'm not a fan of the cry it out method. Uh, which is where you basically leave your child in the crib and they just scream until they fall asleep. So here's what ends up happening is depending upon the age of the child and where they are developmentally, there are some kids who will scream until they puke, okay? There are some kids who will cry for five minutes and then lie down and pass out. It all depends upon their developmental stages and you as a parent have no way of assessing something like that. So what I tell all my parents to do is, you need to be relaxed about this, right? So I've never met a child who, when they went to college, were still sleeping in their parents' bed, right? So like, relax, okay? Yeah. 
So if your child is wandering in on a regular basis, number one, is something going on, right? Are, are they, if they're waking up, is there a physiological reason or is it a mental reason? And then understanding from there, which different methodologies that you want to go for. Personally, um, the biggest problem that we usually have is getting kids to go to bed. Um, and that all has to do with how consistent parents were before. So if you are a very consistent parent and you get your kids in bed and they know they have to be in bed on, the, on time, you rarely have that problem as you're moving into middle school and then high school. But if you're a little bit more laissez-faire and you let kids do whatever they want, which is a terrible idea, um, you, you have a problem. And a classic example is, you know, you and partner are there, uh, grandparents are coming in for the holiday and their flight gets delayed. And we thought they were going to be here at 4.30 and now they're not getting here till 9.30. And baby's bedtime is nine o'clock. And so what do 99% of parents do? Oh, we'll just keep the baby up because grandma and grandpa want to see the baby when they come in. Right. Of course, the flight is actually longer. Grandma and grandpa don't get there till 1030. Now the baby's a mess. The baby's up an hour and a half past their bedtime. And, and they, they, they have what my wife used to call a meltdown. You know what, yeah, you know what this right. term is? Meltdown, yeah, right? I, I do. <laughs> I do. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but you do, right? And it's all because grandma and grandpa wanted to see the baby. So I, dry, I really draw a very hard line. I don't give a shit if grandma and grandpa want to see the baby. The baby's bedtime is 8 o'clock. If they want to get their ass in town at 2.30 in the afternoon, then they can see the baby. But I, I'm not changing my baby's bedtime because you can't seem to figure out your flight schedule. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the level of discipline that you have to be in the early stages. It's always easy to pull back. It's very difficult to enforce. Um, and, and, and once kids get it in their head that they can manipulate you and they're smart, they can manipulate you to get something out of you. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. Sure. Oh man. What a conversation. Okay. <laughs> Michael, I, you know, again, I'm standing here and I can totally thank you for today's conversation and I am thanking you for today's conversation, but honestly, it's my pleasure, man, brother. Realistically, this conversation stands on the shoulders of 25 years of clinical practice, all your research, you know, all the work you've done with people, helping them, supporting them, yeah, and, fun stuff. you know, all the, all the people you've sat with through their insomnia as well, and then struggled and then won some and then lost some as well, man. Just really grateful that, yeah, you know, you found your calling um, as a wolf. This is your creative sort of passion and purpose in life and you've found it and you're able to share it with us. I'm just super grateful, man, for, yeah, not just the conversation, but also for you doing you and just sharing yourself so abundantly here with us, man. Thank you so much for doing this episode with us. It was my absolute pleasure and I feel inspired. So I, it, you did your job in inspiring me to have this conversation with you. So I just wanted to say thank you for introducing me to your audience and to your community. Um, I hope I, I dropped a few knowledge bombs in there and um, hopefully people will uh, get a chance to read some of my stuff and get some sleep. Yeah, absolutely. My biggest takeaways were the surfing concept around the best time to go to sleep. Um, and yep. also just pick a sleep, wake up time. Just wake up at a set time and you're set to go. Yep. Very simple. Very simple. Thanks again. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. 
It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.